Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. John chapter 3, starting at verse 16. Many of you know it. If you've ever watched a football game on TV or a baseball game, or you've been someplace public, many people like to throw this little sign up in the air, and they like to say this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And that's what today is all about. You can be seated this morning. We throw that, we like to throw that around very, very zealous wonderful Christian people show up at the football games, they put the sign up. Of course, I think now in the world's culture today, I think they make them take it down, don't they? Yeah, we can't talk about Bible verses in the public anymore, isn't that right? It's, it's, it's offensive to people. But you know what? Nonetheless, it still exists. And if they take away my Bible, it still exists. And they take yours away, it still exists. And if they tear it away from everything in society, guess what? It's in here and it still exists. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that you and I could be saved. And they're not going to take that away from us. They're not going to take that message away from us. This morning, I celebrate the birth of Jesus. You know what? It's at this point, after he went around and he healed everybody at his birthday party, and he'd turn around and he'd look at everybody and say, all right, now let's have our party, okay? Let's celebrate the birth of Christ this morning. So the book of Matthew, now, now we talked a little bit about this in the previous messages that I've talked about leading up to Christmas. The synoptic gospels, ones that are synonymous, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are the, the only books that really have that continuous message that are synonymous in the way that they review the biography of Jesus. John comes from a different perspective, the, the deity and the godliness of, of, of Jesus. But the synoptic gospels only really have two accounts of Jesus' birth. One is in Mark and one is the book of Luke. Now, it's interesting, and I'm going to talk to you today about the book of Mark. Excuse me, I said Mark, meant Matthew. Matthew and Luke. So everybody that just panicked when I said that. Visitors, I just said the wrong word. I meant Matthew. In the book of Matthew, it's very interesting because we're, we're talking about the biography and the birth of Jesus. But the book of Matthew, somewhat like Luke, starts out with a genealogy leading up to the birth of Christ. And at this time especially at the time the Bible was written. And it's estimated this was written in about 37 AD. All accounts say that that's probably pretty accurate when Matthew wrote this book. Now, many believe also that Matthew was not the first gospel written, that it just happened to be put that way in order for whatever reason it came in. And many believe that there is a godly design that Matthew was put into Scripture as the first gospel because of the way he approached it. Matthew approached the gospel that he, taught, that he wrote uh, to the Jews. He was really speaking to the Jews, ironically. And um, I'm going to get a little bit into who Matthew was as well. So, the, so the, gene- the genealogy is very important at this time. And throughout history, for, for hundreds of years after that, genealogies of family and kings and special people were, were really critical. And so uh, they take these genealogies down, and you'll find in, in throughout history and in scriptural history as well, you rarely saw the names of women were, were rarely ever present in genealogies. I'm sorry, but at that time, it just was something that was not deemed to be even worth placing. And so you'll find that poor people and bad things were not a present in those genealogies. As a matter of fact, 
Matthew, down, a little bit further down in the, the scripture there in verse 1, talks about the genealogies and he talks about the 14 generations to this point and the 14 generations and it comes out to 42 generations and if you read the numbers and you actually count up the names in there, there's really not that many. He skips through quite a bit. He gets to the kind of the key points. But what's very interesting about the genealogy that Matthew lays out there is number one, he includes women. Number, include, number two, he, includes, he, he excludes some very important kings and some, some, some important names uh, that, that aren't there. Um, but then he denotes there's 14 generations to each point three times, and there's clearly not that many names written. And at this time, they were recognizing, they knew. They knew the scripture. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. They knew what he was and who he was as they were biographing his life. And so Matthew, getting the job or the opportunity to biography Jesus' life, chooses to create a genealogy that for the time and for the person that we're talking about was rather awkward. He had the opportunity at this point because this was going to be for all generations potentially. He had the opportunity to create a genealogy that would have been very positive and very uplifting and very royal and it would point out all the good things of the genealogies leading up to the birth of Jesus and he didn't. As a matter of fact, he didn't focus exclusively on royal bloodlines and he inserted some rather challenging names and I want to point that out to you this morning. See Matthew, and the other part of Matthew that's very interesting, You'll see throughout scripture there's a clear distinction made when talking about two types of people in the Gospels. They talk, Jesus talks about them, as mentioned in the Gospels, publicans and sinners. Matthew was a publican, okay? Not a republican. Let's not go there. Republican just means publican again. No, I'm kidding, it doesn't mean <laughs> Publican two times, no. He was a publican. What that simply meant was he was a Jew. And, of course, at this time, Israel was under the rule of the Roman Empire. And so what the Roman Empire would do is they would conscript Jews, people of the day, to be tax collectors. Well, this was considered a terrible, horrific move for you to be a part of this, to, to do this. So typically, guys that were just really nasty and greedy, and, and they were just all about the money, and they were brutal, they caused people to lose their homes and their lands, and they, they, they really robbed them. I mean, just it was, it was horrible what was happening. And Matthew was one of those characters. He was a publican. And the reason the word says publican versus sinner is because they were looked upon to be even worse than a sinner. So there was a segregation of those two terms. And so Matthew, and we'll get into his meeting of Jesus in just a moment, but Matthew was a publican and a tax collector um, and somewhat educated and so one would know and understand that he would understand the concept of genealogy and, and how that's properly done. But just like the message of Christ, Matthew was selected to write this genealogy for a purpose. Now in the genealogy, you're going to see names like, and I'm not going to read through all of them today, and if you're open to Matthew chapter 1, you can see the list that's there. But you're going to see names like Tamar. Tamar is a woman, if you don't know that name. And Tamar, while she was not a harlot or a prostitute, she was a woman who, for the sake of the length of the story, robed herself, covered herself in a veil, and tricked her father-in-law into an intimate situation so that she can have children. 
very bad. She, be, she portrayed herself to him as a harlot in order to have, to, to have a relationship with him. Not a very good thing. This isn't a good story about the king of kings and the lord of lords. This isn't positive that Tamar is in this lineage. The second female name that's listed there is Rahab. Now, many of you may remember the story of Rahab. Rahab actually was a harlot. She actually was a prostitute, and she presided over a brothel in the wall of Jericho. And if you remember the story, God used her to save the two spies that went to spy out the city of Jericho, and God actually helped her escape and get away as the walls of Jericho came down. She is in the lineage of Christ. Ugly. Bad. She was actually a very bad person. There's a very dark side to who and what she was. She was not a Jew. But she's part of Jesus' lineage. She's part of the genealogy. Why? Further on down, you see Ruth. Many of you know the story of Ruth, but Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth was not a Jew. And Ruth didn't have the greatest history either, but most of all, she was a Moabite. And at that time... Moabites were, were just, they were some bad folks. And the word Moabite, Moab, actually means of my father. And it has to do with her history and, and uh, what her story is. And I don't want to preach a message on Ruth the Moabite. But suffice it to say that Moabites at the time, even then, were understood to be just dirt. See, at this time, before Christ brought the message to the Gentiles, pretty much everybody that wasn't a Jew was just not a person. They, they weren't worthy of even mention. And yet Ruth is in the genealogy of Jesus. And then finally, the one that I want to point out is what the Bible says in that verse, the wife of Urias. Okay, now this is done in the Greek. It's done in the modern language versus the, the Old Testament language. So you know that person to be Uriah. Does anyone re- recall who Uriah is? Uriah was the husband of Bathsheba. You see, the lineage is associated with the wife of Uriah, but it doesn't even say her name. The story is so wrong. She was an adulteress. Of course, she had a very wrong relationship with King David, who we know that Jesus is in the lineage of. If you go further down in that genealogy, that's the good part of the genealogy, that he's part of the household of David. But through the lineage of Bathsheba, the very wrong relationship that David had when he sent Uriah out into the field to be killed. He told his soldiers, send him out there, and at the time the battle's in the heat of the battle, everybody just back off and let him fight by himself and he'll be consumed and killed, and he was. So why is the wife of Uriah, as it says in this scripture, mentioned in the genealogy? Well, today I'm talking to you about the fact that Christmas is forgiving. Christmas is forgiving. We love to give. We love to go out and do our shopping, and we talked about this in past messages that I gave, and giving is a great thing. You know, there's, there's, it's actually been scientifically proven that when you step back and you, you think about the things that you do to give to people, I had a wonderful conversation, Sister Barningham, this morning, you nailed it right on the head. We were talking about giving and what it does and the joy that it brings to you, and someone had done something nice for her today. And we do that because it, it actually, there's a physiological effect that happens to us when we give. But the tradition of giving 
at the time of Christmas, of course, comes from when the, the wise men of the East came, and they gave gold and frankincense and myrrh to Jesus as a gift, and so we've sort of built that into a custom, but now it's just this thing that we love to do. I enjoy it. If I had an unlimited supply of money, I would buy gifts for every single person in this room. Anybody know the Oprah thing? Here's a few of my favorite things. I would do that, certainly. She's got all the money in the world, so she can do that. But it, it, it really is a lot about giving, not taking. I don't think anybody, everybody's pretty shy about taking those gifts on Christmas. I don't want anybody to get me stuff. We fight with that back and forth in the house all the time. Dad, what do you want for Christmas? I want you to be here with me. <laughs> right? Come on, what do you want for Christmas? Nice fresh pack of underwear. That's my answer every year. <laughs> Ask my children. Because of those of you that understand what I mean, at, at this point in life, the most things that matter to us are things like having the family here and, and having those relationships there and, and, and doing the things that allow me to give. I want to see the smiles. I want to see the joy when the paper's taken off and, and all these wonderful things. And so we put a lot of thought into that and, and we want to get real clever. We don't want to just grab something off the shelf and and just throw, here, here's your gift. No, we think about it. What would really make them smile? And what would make them happy? What's their favorite hobby? What is it that they like to do, right? It's giving and giving and giving. And it gives us that, that endorphin, that, that special physiological feeling. And that's why the Christmas spirit and the Christmas time of year is full of a lot of joy that way, simply because we have the opportunity, we have a purpose and a reason to just give. Wouldn't it be something if, as I said here many times from the pulpit, for us, every day is Christmas Day. We celebrate the birth of Jesus every single day we live because if he was not born, we would not be here. And all the blessings and all that he's given us again and again and again. And so wouldn't it be something if we really treated Christmas or we could really treat every day like Christmas and just give and give and give and give? Well, my contention, my point to you, my offering to you is we can and we should. Treat every day like Christmas and give. And give. Put ourselves in the back seat, put others in the front seat. Give a smile, give a handshake, give some love, give some kindness, give something that somebody needs. Take a family that's desperately in need of prayer, give them that prayer. Give them God, give them Jesus, give them the testimony that you have, give them the experience that you have. Anybody here upset that somebody came to you one day and said, hey, I wanna talk to you about coming to my church? And you came and you met Jesus and you got saved. Anybody upset about that? Anybody's just like, oh, that person made me so mad. Now I know God. <laughs> so in the converse, can I ask this question? How many of you who had a person who came to you one time in your life and said, I want to introduce you to Jesus, come to my church, and you came and you met him, and you found out what the phenomenal, unbelievable blessing is? How many of you would stand up and say, yes. Thank you, I'm so happy. I'm so glad that person reached out to me. I'm so thankful that somebody took the time to reach out and share with me the gift of Jesus Christ. Is that good? Boy, that's, I was hoping there'd be a little bit more. I will forever be grateful and thankful to a dear sweet little lady, many of you know, was the secretary at this church for many years who working a job at a cruddy company in West Dallas, had a coworker start a job there next to her, and one day over the lunch table, looked at her and said, would you like to know where I go to church? Do you go anywhere? 
can I share my testimony with you? And my mother said, yeah, I'd love to hear it, and went to church with her. And that's how we got here. And I will ever, forever be grateful because Mary Unz gave. And if you know her well enough to know, she's not gone, by the way. She's still with us. She just lives in North Carolina where it's smarter and warmer. But at approaching 80, she's still down there giving and giving and giving. And every time I talk to her, she's teaching a new Bible study. She's going to somebody's house to help a, a, a senior person do something with their garden or plant flowers or give them of her flowers or whatever she can have. She's on a fixed income. Her husband passed away a number of years. She's a widow, doesn't have hardly anything, doesn't have a whole lot of money. But I've never seen anybody in my life give and give and give and give as much as that lady. I couldn't even tell you the countless numbers of souls that have come to Jesus Christ because of Mary Ann's. Because, see, she got this message that Christmas is forgiving. It's forgiving. But she lives Christmas every single day of her life. She's got bad things that have happened. She's had health scares. She's had people offend her. She's had things go wrong, things that she doesn't like the way they went. She's had all that stuff in her, happen in her life. And you know what she says? She says, oh, well, Jesus will take care of it. And she keeps on giving and keeps on giving and keeps on giving. She doesn't hold grudges. She doesn't have bad feelings. She doesn't take offenses. You can't offend her. If she heard this message, she'd drive up here and hit me. I know she would. <laughs> I'm using her as an example because she's the one. There was a Christmas day in my family's life. By the way, it wasn't in December and it wasn't Christmas time. But it was a Christmas day in my family's life when she said, regardless of everything that's happening, and if you know Sister Unz, you know she went through some real challenges. Even when her husband was around, there were some bankruptcies and, and some job issues and some financial woes. She never, ever stopped giving. Christmas Day was every day for Mary. Isn't it ironic her name was Mary? So I wanted to share that story with you because... As we read through that genealogy, you probably wondered why I jumped off the genealogy thing. Well, I, I was just, it was just a side shot. We're back on the freeway. The reason I mentioned all of that in that genealogy, the reason that there's horrible people and there's harlots and, 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 and people that have fallen and people that were Gentiles and that weren't very good and there were Moabites and things like that, because the message very simply is this, is that the reason they're in Jesus' genealogy was to prove and to show that the fact that Jesus came is because he came for people that were imperfect. He came to give and to give of himself and to give of his life because he himself was from a lineage that had people that were failures, that were fallen, that were sinners, that were bad. And even he, our Lord and Savior, perfect and sinless and without any guile in his body, came from a lineage that desperately needed a Savior like him. That's the message to you today. Because aside from Christmas being about forgive, forgiving, Christmas is about forgiving. He came that we could be forgiven. And so the message in the genealogy, that broken mess that Matthew laid out there was to show that we have a Lord and Savior who's just a regular guy. He's just without sin. He just doesn't have any part of that stuff. But even his lineage, even his history, his past is thought with things that aren't very good. Many of us in this room have skeletons in the closet, things that we did, lives that we lived prior to Jesus that we're not proud of mistakes that we've made, broken things that we've done. 
Some of you may have experienced that now. Maybe you haven't reached that point yet where, where you've, you've met him and you've come to terms with him, but, but here's the great message of Matthew chapter one. He's not gonna judge over you. He's not gonna turn his eye from you. He's not gonna leave you alone because even in his own lineage, there were sinners, there were harlots, there were Moabites. Christmas is forgiving for sure, but Christmas is forgiving. It is forgiving. And I talked a little bit earlier about Matthew, the publican, the worst of the worst, the tax collector, a Jew that sided with the Roman Empire, got the job, and they pocketed a lot of money, by the way. Those publicans were taking that money. They were overtaxing. They were getting wealthy off of this process. So in Matthew chapter 9, if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 9, it took nine chapters for Matthew to tell from the third person the biography of the day that he met Jesus. And this is where it is in Matthew chapter 9. Now just to prove to you, just to show to you, I, I, I want to get this across just a little bit better, so pardon me if I repeat myself, but Matthew was the worst of the worst. Scum. The Jews hated people that became publicans public servants to the Roman Empire. They were thieves. They were evil. They caused people to lose their homes. They, they, they were corrupt, terrible people. So much so that they're differentiated from even just the average run-of-mill sinner. Publicans and sinners. You see it again and again, publicans and sinners. Publicans and sinners. They were hated. Matthew chapter 9, starting at verse 9, says, And as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew... Now, this is Matthew talking about Matthew. He's talking in the third person. Sitting at the receipt of custom. In other words, he was sitting at the tax collector's table. And, say, and he saith unto him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now, first of all, that's, that's an amazing miracle, okay? He was a tax collector, getting very, very wealthy off this. He was conscribed to the Roman Empire to do this work. And Jesus walks up and says, come with me. He goes, okay. What if one of us were that apt to follow Jesus when he calls? Because the day that you came and you got saved and you gave your life to God, you repented and you received the infilling of the Holy Ghost and you got into that water and you asked for your, the sins of your life to be washed away, that was not the first day that Jesus is going to call you. I want you to understand that the life of a Christian, a submitted life of a Christian is one where Jesus will continue to call you and continue to call you, and continue to call you. Whether it be to a specific ministry, whether it be to minister to a friend in need, whether it be to share your testimony, Jesus every single day is gonna continue to call you. He's calling you right now, whether you hear it or not. He's calling you right now to do a work for him. He's calling you to listen to the word that he's given me. He's calling you to hear what it is that he has for you to do because he simply didn't die the death that he died. He didn't come to this world in the way that he did, through the lineage that he did, and suffered the way he did so that we can just sit back, pull back the lever on our recliner and say, yeah, feed me up with that word. I just, I just want to take it easy and live the life of a Christian. Because Christmas is forgiving, and he's calling you to give all the time. Verse 10 says, and it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans 
and sinners, remember I told you, publicans and sinners, came and sat down with him and his disciples. So what's happened here is Matthew has made the decision to leave his old work. Whatever happened with him, whatever went on in that situation, Jesus said, come with me. He said, okay, I'm out. Now he's at Matthew's house and they're having a little bit of a party, having a little bit of a dinner. Well, who's going to come to Matthew's house but publicans and sinners, the people that he hangs around with all the time, the only people that are willing to accept Matthew for who he is. Who are the people that come to your home? Who are the people that could come to your home and sit down at a dinner with you so that Jesus can walk in and sit down at the table? Christmas is forgiving. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And there you have it. There's the statement. They challenged him. You're supposed to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The great mighty. God manifest in the flesh. What are you doing sitting here eating with publicans and sinners? Jesus' answer was very simple. I don't need to deal with people that are healthy and perfect. I need to deal with the people that are sick. We're surrounded by people that need a physician. Every day you encounter them. You know them. They're your brother. They're your sister, your mom, your dad, uncle, nephew, neighbor, co-worker. You see, when Mary Unz reached out, she was sitting there working with a, a slew of publicans and sinners. There happened to be one at the lunch table that she was sitting at. And she reached out. And she saw someone that was sick. See, we were very sick. My mother was married to a horrific alcoholic at the time. We were almost bankrupt. We had nothing. He was abusive, he was nasty, and our lives were spiraling out of control. And Jesus Christ said to Mary, speak to this woman. He spoke to her, and she reached out, and our lives changed dramatically from that point. How many people are you sitting across the lunch table from, living horrific lives? dealing with terrible sickness and illness in their spirits and their hearts and their families. You see, Christmas, it's forgiving. I am not come to call the righteous, he said, but sinners to repentance. And now we get to the Christmas story. Matthew chapter one, you can zip back up to the top there. We're gonna start at verse 18, right after the genealogies. So for those of you that came to hear the really nice scriptures on the birth of Jesus, I'm going to share that with you right now. Matthew's account says it this way. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. Joseph... He was a good man. He didn't quite understand what was happening, but his wife was pregnant, and it wasn't because they had been together. So once again, here we have a situation that doesn't look very good. Now, of course, it's perfect. It's exactly as God designed it. 
but even to the people surrounding them, this was really bad. This was sinful behavior. And they were scoffed at. As a matter of fact, do you really believe that there was no room in the inn when they showed up there? Or do you think maybe the innkeeper looked at the situation and saw this lady and the donkey and said, this doesn't look good, I don't want you in my house. And sent them out to the stable. Think about that for a minute. So Joseph, being a just man, he just wanted to have a real quiet little divorce. Just uh, Let's just get this done, we'll put this thing away and she can go on and deal with whatever sin she did. And then Joseph, but it says, but while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, remember, that's in the lineage, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All right, now verse 22, here's the real key, and I'm going to wrap this up right now, if we can have our musicians come. Verse 22 says this, now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, this is prophet Isaiah they're referencing, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. You see, God manifests himself in the flesh. Yes, he's referred to as the son. That's the flesh. That's a term used to describe the son, the body that Christ gave himself. 1 Timothy 3 and 16, for God so, excuse me, great is the mystery of godliness. God manifests himself in the flesh. 1 John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. All this was done. What is that referring to? It's referring to that genealogy that we talked about. All this was done. See, all of those things had to happen. Those lineages, those pieces, those people that fell and were broken, Ruth the Moabite and Rahab the harlot and Tamar the pretender and all of those things, Uriah's failure and Bathsheba's child and so on and so on. See, Bathsheba had Solomon the king. And through that lineage, Jesus owns the title and the ownership of the the throne. But verse 22 says that all this was done so that it might be fulfilled. So you needed to understand that even the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is sensitive and understanding of our nature of sin and where we came from. The Word of God says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all need to approach him and partake of his message. Because really, Christmas is forgiving. The whole message of Jesus is forgiving. Matthew 5 and 22, and this is my last scripture, and you can stand with me this morning. Matthew 5 and 22 says this. It says, but I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. That's an angry shout out. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. 
See, Christmas, Christmas is forgiving, and we do give. And the giving that we should do first is to our Lord and Savior. But Christmas is also forgiving. And we should remember as he came, the reason he came, the reason that babe was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger, the reason he died on that cross and took those stripes for us was forgiving. Christmas is about forgiving. And we need to learn that above all else, above all of our challenges and our problems and our failures, every single one of us was a Rahab or a Ruth or a Uriah or a Bathsheba or whatever sinner you want to point out. Every single one of us. And therefore, none of us has cause to rise above any other but to give faithfully and to forgive. So this morning, I'm going to open the altar today. I want you to enjoy your Christmas season. I love my church family. I appreciate every one of you. I want you to go and enjoy your giving. Have a very, very Merry Christmas. But just keep it in your heart. Christmas is forgiving. In Jesus' name, this altar is open. If you'd like to gather together with your families, that would be wonderful. Spend some time in prayer. Love one another. On your way out of the house this morning, on your way out of the church, grab a hand, hug a neck, give some love. Let people know that you know that God saved you. God forgave you. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.